I'm Isaac. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Conceptual Understanding. And we're back with Conceptual Understandings. And for those of you who don't quite know or remember, Conceptual Understanding, according to the internet, is knowing more than isolated facts and method. The successful student understands mathematical ideas and has the ability to transfer their knowledge into new situations and apply it to new contexts. Um, as this overview, conceptual understanding is an idea in math where students and people can understand why they're doing what they're doing with math. You know, it's not that just memorizing facts, not just two plus two is four, but they understand that if you add two together, you get four. They understand how that works. Right. And we're trying to bring that to politics, to religion. It's to just like any religion. test. It's not just knowing what it is. It's understanding how it's working, why it's working. Mm -hmm. um, idea. So we have a cup with many different slips of paper uh, and topics ranging from e economics to foreign policy to all kinds of different things. We're going to shake it up. Jeremy's going to draw. Do you want to draw it? Yeah, I can draw first. Um, draw a topic and we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, let's see. Topic number one. Oh, this is an interesting one. National debt. National debt. So, do you want to do that one first or you want me to? Um, I, I think I'll let you do that. Okay. Uh, well, I'm just going to go with my opinion on national debt. Um, just like going along with conceptual understanding, you have to understand where all of our debt is coming from. Um, and most of it is the United States is issuing like bonds, which are basically just IOUs to American citizens. Um, so like big banks will buy a U.S. Treasury bond. And that is what they're using to pay for, you know, you, that, that's what they're using to pay for all their different programs. Every time they need more money, they sell um, a bond to the American public. Um, the only problem is it shows us debt because the United States government still owes them all that money plus interest. Um, and that's where the national debt, I think it's really scary is I, I, I don't remember who was saying it. He was with Michael Noles on Knowles. the show. Knowles. Um, mess that one up. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but he claimed that by the year 2035 or so, our national debt interest is going to be accumulating at about $900 billion a year. Holy cow. So just the interest in itself is going to be gaining a trillion dollars almost worth of debt. Um, me personally, if I was president, I wouldn't necessarily focus on paying back the debt. Um, I would just focus on reducing the deficit or giving us a surplus because the first thing we have to do is keep the government from spending more each year than it's bringing in. If we can just bring spending under control, then it's going to be easier for us to pay off our debt. Um, I think that um, I don't really know. I wouldn't say I know a whole lot about this topic, but I do know. So um, President Trump, when he was running in 2016, he, it wasn't a major thing he ran on, but he, he talked a lot about reducing the debt, not spending that much money. And then we've proceeded to see his budget plans <laughs> each year and in no way are they made to, it is difficult to cut. And, and it's difficult, especially when you want to do lots of change and mm -hmm. Trump has been building the wall right now. He's um, expanded the military. He's done all kinds of different things and it requires a lot of money. Um, I think, I think back to um, uh, the, Franklin Roosevelt plans the New Deal mm -hmm. with Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. 
Um, it's a very controversial opinion. I don't think I would, I'm not an expert in that at all. I think that when it comes to those kind of, you know, more socialistic like plans, which we're constantly just taking money from and kind of going into debt about, I think we have to figure out how to get out of that because I believe I was reading an article somewhere. I can't remember what it was where our national debt, I think two thirds of it is from social security or at least a large portion of it. And we just keep spending money and there's no money left. We just right. keep putting IOUs, IOUs, IOUs. And if that keeps happening, then it's going to get to the point where maybe not us, but our kids and, and their kids, it's just going to be empty. Right. Now there's a, now if you are well off and you have a plan for retirement and you've done well financially, then that's not going to be as big of a deal. However, to those who have been struggling, um, who need those programs and for those to be depleted, it's just a big mess. Well, and I think that's, that's the largest flaw with that mm -hmm. whole plan. It didn't account for a scenario like, like, cause that happened right before the baby boomer boomer generation, when there are just tons of people in the workforce and it didn't account for the fact that there might not always be that many people in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a tough decision, but the way we'd have to deal with that is to push the social security age further. You think so? Because people are living longer and that's why it's depleting it so fast, right? Back when it was first instituted, I don't know how old people used to live there, but you know, if they lived, you know, you, you can pick it up at 65 and say they might've died regularly at 70 or 75 years old. Well, that means we're only paying their social security for five or 10 years. But now when we've got people living to nineties, you know, you, you know, my grandparents are in their seventies and they're doing just fine. You know, mm -hmm. um, people well, are I think the mortality rate na nationally has gone down a little bit. However, right, but I'm saying the age that you die at. Um, I would, my, I wouldn't necessarily be for bumping it up. I think a lot of people are really focused on when they turn 65. Yeah, um, no, it's going to be, but it's I, a difficult. I, I am more for privatization of those things. Now there's lots of arguments and about how that is done, what the practicality of having that go private. But I think if we want to fix this national debt, get out of it, which we can't do completely, but mm -hmm. I think the first thing we need to do is start cutting funding. We need to look at our government programs and our departments. Um, I can't remember which president it was, um, but we had a president that looked at all of our departments that we had and he was just like, we don't need this. We don't need this. We don't need this. And just started cutting them off. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to do that, especially as you know, myself being a constitutionalist, I'm, I'm very more um, supportive of if it doesn't really fit in the constitution, then why do we have it? Obviously some of the things we do need, I think that if we want to fix our national debt, we have to look at privatizing social security, Medicare, See, Medicaid, healthcare. I think and, I might have to disagree. Not the, not then, the Medicare. Medicaid. And then I think, and I think that we need to cut certain departments. Like there's just some department and I couldn't give them off my head right now, but I think certain, certain departments, you know, they're not like, um, the Homeland security. A lot of people don't like Homeland security anymore which was created after 9-11. Right. Um, we I don't know. We have the FBI and we have the CIA. I think all of the departments play a role. So I wouldn't necessarily look at 
cutting out the apartments, but maybe trimming them down. Yeah. Maybe we don't need slum them down. Yeah. Um, I would have to disagree with you though. I agree that Medicare, Medicaid, um, I mean, obviously those are supporting some people who really need them. Mm -hmm. It's good for some people. It's not good for America as a whole. Um, but as for the social security, I know, I believe it's Switzerland has a privatized, um, basically social security system, but I just, I don't know how that would work because it would basically be the same system, except now you have to account for profit in there as well. Yeah. So I, that's, but that's the problem is it's because we're not making a profit. Right. With, but but see, if that was privatized, if that was privatized, I would almost guarantee you that they're going to raise the age because that's just the numbers thing to do. If people are living longer now than they were back then, we're no longer just, you know, we no longer have a majority of people dying at say 75 years old. And so now instead of having to pay for them for 10 years, now maybe we have to pay for them for 20 years and it's just not economically anymore. The numbers no. just don't work. I can see that for me, it's just, it's a difficult decision. I, and maybe I, you say like our generation yeah. can't, like we don't get it at 65 because we have enough time to plan for it. I think the way I look at it is, yes, you have to think, okay, if it's a privatized business, a privatized thing, we need to uh, make a profit. However, I look at many things with our government and the things that we do. And I think that a lot of people are like, well, how do we fix this problem? We have money going here and we don't like it. You know, take, take prison. For example, we the death penalty more specifically. A lot of people are for the death penalty because they don't like paying for people to live in prison all day. Mm -hmm. Or the worst people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you move them to private prisons, which of course there are complications with that, if you move it to a more privatized where we have privatized business where the government helps them keep it hold, then mm -hmm. our taxpayer our tax money is not going there. And that's how I see with the national debt. Our money is going to some things that are good and they're wonderful. However, there is, it's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think if we move to privatize, which yes, you have to think about profits, but you know, the government can still aid them. If we fix those situations, then in the end, we won't have, we have much less increasing national debt. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was saying. Just, I would just go through and make sure that all of these, um, that are national. Uh, yeah. I, I just think it's too much for one generation to totally start to pay off the national debt. But I think to go through and, you know, go into our national debt and just reduce the deficit so that we're not losing as much each year and we're not spending as much, um, that way, you know, that, that would just make it easier. Um, I'm, I, what I'm thinking, the main problem that I'm seeing here is like the vast, vast majority or a lot of our national budget, when you look at it, um, I believe it's about 25% go to healthcare programs. Um, so basically 50% of our funding, uh, including healthcare programs and job things and such like that are going towards, um, yeah, but basically just most of our stuff is going towards health and well-being. That's where most, most of our funding is going. So we're going to cut anything so that's the down. the military is the most funded department. Department. Yeah. No, I'm not talking department. I'm talking national budget as a whole. Oh, okay. National budget as a whole, our health and well-being are being funded the most. Um, and so that's, that's where I see the problem with the departments that you mentioned, though, mm -hmm. is they're just not accounting for enough that it's going to make 
enough of a difference. Like we need to go through and trim them down, but it just won't make the major difference that we need. Yeah. Well, I should, we should probably stop talking about the national debt. Very true, and that's why we. Or I will draw. Right. So I, I will yeah, draw another topic. To draw. Let's see what you get. So that was. Um, what was it? That was national debt. Yes. Um, we kind of got into more of the medical side of things again, but we got down to the understanding of what's mm -hmm. causing. And the national now debt. we're going to do our next topic. Yeah. Awesome. This is fun. Very different from the national debt. <laughs> this is foreign policy. With North Korea, oh, I um I have some pretty good opinions on this one. You can, you can take that one first. Then. Okay, well, I took the last one first. So we look at where we were in 2016, especially North Korea was testing missile after missile. Just they were having nuclear program. Uh, obviously, there was questions on how well it was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, like, but either way we see that this dictator was very keen on expanding their nuclear program and they kept firing it into the Pacific and, you know, people were getting worried that America was going to be threatened. And then all of a sudden Trump becomes president and he's the first president in years to meet in North Korea, first president to go into the demilitarized zone. And now we're at a point where North Korea seems like they're on good terms with us, but we don't really know. And so to move forward on how exactly we should handle North Korea, I think we need to treat them um, very carefully because the problem is it's not just that it's North Korea, it's their big brother, China. Um, China has aided North Korea. We've seen multiple um, times in history that um, Kim Jong-un has gone to China discreetly <laughs> Um, we don't know why exactly. We just know that he is. And so I think that um, the best way to handle the situation, if it were to get worse, say they start testing nuclear weapons again, um, I think Trump needs to overcome his... Uh, um, a, Trump has a, you know, and I think you've told me this before, outside the podcast. Maximum pressure. No, Trump, for those who say Trump's a racist or a sexist or whatever, it's just not oh. true. It's very simple with Trump. If you say nice things about Trump, he likes you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't say nice things about him, he doesn't like yeah, you. Yeah, that was Ben Shapiro on his last year. Yeah. Trump just likes people that like him and doesn't like people who doesn't like him. And we saw when Kim Jong-un criticized Trump, Trump just started calling him names mm -hmm. and getting mad. And then when Kim Jong-un was finally open to make a um negotiations then trump was like he's the, he's a nice guy he, i'm so glad we're talking with him mm -hmm. and so i think that trump needs to overcome that if north korea were to start testing nuclear weapons um because we need to have like you said maximum pressure we need to make sure that while we're probably not even close to their firing range as we know right now we need to make sure that the south koreans are safe um, Japan is safe, Guam, those places, even Hawaii, perhaps, we need to be ready for a North Korean threat in the future. And we need to be ready to stop them from causing mass destruction. Right. Um, well, I suppose the one disagreement I have with that, I would not be too worried about China's response with the United States getting tough on Kim. 
mm-hmm. because I think at the end of the day, the dictator, as I'll call him, of China, because he's definitely not a president, um, he he's not going to stick his neck out there for North Korea. If the rest of the world's against North Korea, he's not going to be the only country to stick his neck out there and support him, you know? He's not going to go out of his way to support this little co- like North Korea is not really aiding them. I think like lot. almost all of China, uh, North Korea's imports come from China, like all of them. Right, but I'm saying China, North Korea probably it doesn't mean a whole lot to them. Yeah. Now maybe symbolically it does. Um, maybe that's maybe that's how President Xi wants his country to be is more like North Korea, where he just has total control over it. But I'm just saying the only thing that I've ever heard that why China would enjoy North Korea is because they're able to send weapons to North Korea and then North Korea can send them to terrorist organizations. Um, and obviously that is very difficult to prove. So I, I, I don't think China would stick their neck out there for North Korea, but as for Trump's response, I, I like what he's done because if Kim Jong-un thinks that he can just make these threats to the rest of the world and not have any repercussions, he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that because Donald Trump has his maximum pressure foreign policy, where if a country is against him, if they disagree with him, like Iran, when Iran is attacking us or when North Korea is making threats like this, he throws on maximum pressure where he'll increase sanctions. Uh, he'll move more troops closer to them to intimidate them more. You know, he'll go in there, he'll show the strength of the United States, he'll put sanctions on them so things get worse in their country so that they really start to feel the pressure. Um, and our, it, it's an it's an an arguable foreign policy because it can seriously hurt the people in the regime that he's targeting. I, I think I have to disagree. I think a lot of it has to do with China because we look at what North Korea is doing and how the people are living. Um, it is the worst. I think it is um, on the list. It's like considered the worst place to live. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. No rights. I think as Americans, considering what we did in the Middle East and what we've done on countless attempts in other worlds if we truly claim to be the world police and we truly come claim to be the saviors and liberators um we ought to go into north korea and and stop what they're doing like invade them yeah and i think that the only reason why we haven't done that is because we're afraid of what china's going to do if we do that i think that's the only thing that's stopping us i can see china being very upset with us but again i don't think if china didn't care then i think we would have replaced the North Korean government with something else a long time ago. I think the only reason we haven't done that is because the United States, as much as I agree that we should help the rest of the world as much as we can, um, what we've seen in the past when the United States goes into governments like uh, Nicaragua or Nicaragua or, you know, Iraq, or as you're talking right now, if they went into North Korea, the problem is that the United States doesn't fully understand all the power dynamics in that region. Um, you know, in Iraq, we replaced their leader that they had with someone else that the people didn't approve of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it caused a lot of problems. Um, I, I think we need to do something against them, but I would rather let Kim Jong-un stay in power, but see massive human rights, you know, formations in the country see them become more of a capitalist society i'd rather see i'd rather forgive north korea on what they've done and have them change to be more like the rest of the world and to be a more 
you, you know, to be a nation that we're including in everything. I, I do like that. Than to just and I think them. that that is probably the democratic side of things. It's just going to take a long time. To I get think that, that the democratic party really wants to just, if we help them, they'll eventually do better. I do. I don't see that's working. I don't mean help them. I just mean you, you give them every opportunity um, you can to just become more like the rest I of the world. I will say, uh, I don't know. I haven't read anything um, updated wise, but I think a week ago, uh, apparently there's reports that Kim Jong-un right now is in a comatose. He's in a coma. Um, I have no idea what's going on with him. I, I know, know there was know reports. That, yeah. I know there was reports uh, a couple months ago that he was sick and all of a sudden he was better. But now again, apparently he's in a coma. I don't know right. what if there's been updates or, or not, but if he were to die right now, then perhaps that is where things start to change. What I'm saying, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think the United States should get involved in there politically. Mm -hmm. um, I think we should definitely do more of what Donald Trump's doing, except not as symbolic. You know, they got all the symbolic stuff out of the way. Donald mm -hmm. Trump walks into the demilitarized zone. Kim Jong-un meets with um, President, it's either President or Prime Minister Moon from South Korea. Mm -hmm. um, we've got all the symbolic stuff out of the way, but we need to start making actual progress towards including North Korea and the rest of the world. Um, and after we've included them, if they're changing, if they are increasing human rights in their country, if they're willing to accept kind of what the rest of the world agrees or human rights, mm. then I think we continue to, then, then we just let them in. But if they are continuing to violate human rights, continuing to have these work camps, you know, killing people on the street, you can't take a poster down or we're going to, you know, arrest you. I, I don't agree with that. I think, but Donald Trump's maximum pressure, what I'm saying putting all these sanctions, um, forcing North Korea to basically just suffer even more. Mm -hmm. It made Kim Jong-un realize, oh shoot, I need to, you know, yeah. I can't be doing it. And that's why we saw these summits. That's why Donald yeah. Trump went and talked to them because Kim Jong-un realized- I still think we need to go much harder on them. Maybe not right now. I think- we I would to, agree in the future. I think we need to have plans to figure out how exactly it works out. But I mean, I think back to Nazi Germany. Now we didn't know how the Holocaust was happening mm -hmm. until we got there, but I think back to Nazi Germany and I think about the Soviet Union and how we treated those threats to humankind. And I think that, um, I don't know how in practicality it works out, but I think that there is a humanitarian crisis in North Korea. There's also one in China, but we haven't gotten there mm -hmm. yet. Um, I think that, the United States, while Trump has been very America first, we need to help America. I think we need to help these people because we, we, can't, just, we sit, can't just sit by what yeah. happens. Yeah. So, well, that was our second topic on do foreign policy. Time to do one more, Korea. or is this? Um, we can do one more. How long is this already? We are at roughly 20 minutes, over 20 minutes. We can do one more. Sure. You want to draw this last one? Yeah, I'll draw the last one. So we did um, the national debt, we did North Korea, and we will do our third topic and last topic for this episode. Um, and just so you guys know, we will be doing this for a couple more episodes, but then after that, once we kind of get our opinions out of the way right. with this, then we'll more focus on into the news and into other right. things. But this is events. just to kind of introduce you guys to our ideas and our beliefs with these certain topics. Okay, what do we got? Prison reform. Now, I remember when I wrote this, you were very interested mm. in what I meant by this. And I did talk about it briefly in the first one about, you know, privatization 
of um, privatization of prisons. I would like to talk about that, and I can start off because um, I, I have some opinions about that. I think prison reform, and, and this is reform, not necessarily, not necessarily focused on the reform part, but just how our jail system works, how the um, um, inmates are handled. I think we need to look at that. Um, I was watching um, uh, on the news. They were talking about how there were prisons, I think, in Switzerland or Sweden. It was a European, Western European country where it was almost like a paradise, which would be think, why would we send prisoners mm -hmm. there? Well, it's just like a, a fancy hospital almost where people can go out and there's gardens everywhere and they can take care of the gardens and they can work there. And while I think that we need to punish um, lawbreakers and not necessarily just put them in a different paradise, I think that we look at the way we treat prisoners and the way um, life um, um, standard of living is in these prisons and in jail and, ex and exactly what the punishments are for certain crimes. For example, the, um, the lady that Trump pardoned for having a first time nonviolent offense. Mm -hmm. He finally did, he, or he um, pardoned her in 2018. We have to look at those things because I think we have some criminals, some people that break the law where they're going to jail and they shouldn't, they should be given a second chance. And then we look at the standard of living in prisons. And um, I think we need to figure out how we can fix that. And then on another side of it, we have to look at the death penalty, which is, a, is another topic that I think we should preserve for another episode because the death penalty is a huge topic. But just with that, I think we need to figure out why we need to reform the way prisons work because for people who aren't getting the death penalty, you know, they're sitting in prison having low standards mm -hmm. of living and our tax money, our taxpayers' money is just flooding in there right. to keep these people living. And I think we, we have to fix it. I, I don't really know what we would do to fix it. I, I do like the idea of private privatizing prisons, having prisons that are owned by um, corporations or um, certain people who are specialized. They have to be specialized. It's just not that anyone can own a prison. Obviously, they have to be the right people or right person for that. And the government will have lots of oversight. However, if we manage to privatize it, then our taxpayers' money isn't flooding into keeping these people alive and maybe standards of living go up. Um, do you have any input on that? Well, so here's my understanding of how private prisons work. It's still going to cost taxpayer money. Okay. Because you tell me, you know, how, how can a prison make money? Who are they going to charge? You know, yeah. they're not going to charge the inmates. They can't charge the families of the inmates. I mean, maybe they could, but the government still has to pay for it. I think the only benefit you get there is just that they'll probably figure out a way to do it cheaper. Okay. Because they're focused on, you know, say the government's going to tell them, but, hey, we're going to give you this people, amount. American people would be pretty dang happy if it was cheaper. Very true. But it just depends on how much of a difference it's going to make. Um, I think for prison reform, I don't know. I like, that's something I like that Donald Trump has done and something that he touts a lot, his first step act. Um, I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. Something like that, that he passed. Um, and basically, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's how I learned the legal system worked was, you know, if you're not a violent offender, if you didn't rape somebody or kill somebody, you mm -hmm. shouldn't be in prison for, you know, extremely long periods of time, unless it's some sort of different offense 
that has, you know, that much of a criminal impact. I mean, if, for instance, the, the big thing of the First Step Act was somebody that was transporting drugs, like a drug mule or something on the highway, mm-hmm. going to prison for like a decade. And I don't, I don't think we should be sending people to prison for a decade for transporting drugs. Maybe it depends on how much you've been transporting, you know. Um, but really, it, it's just about getting down to why they did that. And if they were just totally cooperative with police, you know, they, they know that what they're doing is wrong, but they also know that they're probably making a lot of money doing it. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's well, the same and thing. And if you think about it, um, especially in the poor communities, some people, right. which we have to fix those communities, a lot of boys and girls, they grow up and they feel that the only solution is to go into crime, to go into these, mm-hmm. these things like drug dealing. And so then we find these people... And I think I feel like conservatives in the Republican Party has at many times gone way too harsh. I feel like we've we've seen that, especially I think the left decides to go too sympathetic for these people. And I think the right has gone too harsh. I think we have to find a good middle ground mm-hmm. because there are people who who just grow up thinking that that's the only thing that they can do to make money. And then they all of a sudden there's one drug bust and they're in prison for years. I think, you know, we need to figure out how to be sympathetic towards these people, but mm-hmm. also make sure that the law is going to be upheld because we can't just let people go around breaking laws. Although that wouldn't be, I wouldn't necessarily focus on dealers and drug mules. I know I may, I know I made that example. That wouldn't be my only focus. I think the main focus I would have and the main focus of the bill that Donald Trump uh, released or signed was um, people that were arrested for also just possession of them. Mm-hmm. Um, like marijuana, you you, you, you know, there's lots of examples um, yeah. that you can read about in lots of articles that talk about Donald Trump's um, prison reform bill. And even he'll tout these examples himself of people that were like caught smoking marijuana and were in prison for five years. Really? Like five years of their life for smoking marijuana. And I know, you know, there's a lot of young kids in their 20s or something who probably smoke pot. <laughs> they probably do drugs. Um, but they're not necessarily I mean, like people hard in our brain that do Yeah, that. exactly. There's people at our high school that smoke marijuana. But do I think they should go to prison for smoking for five years? No. Do I think somebody needs to step into no, their that's life just going and be to, a role model? And if we, if we, and I, we've talked a little bit about this previously before yeah. we reported. If we just, all of a sudden, they do this, and then we just send them to jail or juvie, yeah. then they're... We're not helping them at all. And now We're once they get out worse. after five years, they've got this on their record forever. But that doesn't mean we should ignore these things either. Yeah, you should ignore it. But like, you know, sending them to five years, losing five, you know, they could have gone to college in that amount of time. Yeah. Um, and because of, you know, now with their criminal past, who knows how good of a college they can get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, then that was um, a little bit shorter than the other topics we discussed, but. Probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is. um conceptual understanding i'm isaac i'm jeremy and thank you for listening we try to get to the why of religion politics and self improvement and thanks for listening